Hello and welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim and Mark. How are you this week, Mark? Everything is great, Kim, and yourself? Good. Everything's fine. You know, it's always good to get together and chat wine and food. And this week's show, we're actually going to talk a lot about restaurants and wine in restaurants and wines and wine tastings that sometimes can be in a restaurant and various things about dining and what you should do if you are out when you order some wine and how the industry right now and the state of the world is impacting restaurants and wine. Yeah, things are changing. As you know, Kim, which we'll talk about, and I'll be hitting you with a lot of questions since you had worked in the wine industry a lot. So what was the uh, first article you'd like to start with? So the first article that we have is about ordering wine in a restaurant. And should you order by the bottle or should you order by the glass? And what are the benefits of those? I always feel like these articles are interesting because different writers will take a different perspective or maybe the article will be about how to choose the best wine by the glass on a, a restaurant uh, wine list. But this one specifically is why it is better to go for that whole bottle instead of ordering wine by the glass. And I personally feel like it depends on your situation, right? I mean, if it's only you, don't... <laughs> don't buy a bottle of wine, you know, right. explore the wine by the glass list. But it's also about the restaurant because some restaurants have very strong wines by the glass list and other ones you feel like you're kind of missing out if you are just ordering off of that basic list. So, I mean, I go out to eat a lot and we, of course, like to drink wine when we go out uh, and wondering what your perspective is when it comes to ordering wine at a restaurant, Mark. We've given a lot of tips to our listeners about approaching wine lists. And I know my last vacation, I really explored the list. And, and I enjoy, Ooh. like yourself, Kim, the looking at what's out there and how people put their list together. But I was thinking about this because they said the best way of ordering is by the bottle. And like you said, when I am with my family, I'm looking by the bottle because we're not all going to order a glass and it's going to equal the price of a bottle. Mm -hmm. But I think we should tell our listeners maybe the pricing structure just so they have an idea. In a restaurant, when you order a bottle, usually it's priced at like two to three times what that bottle would be in a retail store for, for a lot of good reasons. And by the glass, it's usually one glass is usually the price maybe that the restaurant would pay for a whole bottle. So there is a whole structure and reason why it's more economical for you to buy a bottle if you're with a bunch of people. But there's also, like you said earlier, if you're by yourself or you just want to explore something you never had and they have it by the glass, it's also a, a good option. So- mm -hmm. It's one of those, do this or do that, what's the best thing? But in this article, saying why the bottle is better. So what did you take from their suggestions, Kim? So I think your point to the pricing structure is a good one to start with because you really do see that the markup is a little bit higher for those just buy the glass pours as opposed to if you were to get the entire bottle of wine. But I feel too very strongly about the variety that you can get by buying a bottle instead of just what is on the buy the glass list. But again, that, you know, depends on the restaurant and some restaurants have a lot of wines open for buy the glass. But I think that 
depending on how many people you are dining with. And and that is actually one of the, the main points of this article, which is from thetakeout.com, by the way, is that you you know you're getting better value if you have a group of 3 or 4 people and you're all going to order a glass of wine just go ahead and get a bottle you know share a bottle or two depending on what people are eating for dinner but it is definitely more economical and then you can pour to how much you all individually want so maybe someone at your table only wants a little bit of wine they can have just a little bit out of that bottle and then the rest of your group can enjoy the remainder of it so i think that that is a good recommendation and there is, I think, something to be said for being able to see for yourself how much is being poured in your glass instead of having it poured behind the bar and then brought to you. Yeah, you went right to the question I had for you next. <laughs> they, that was one of the tips they gave for our listeners. They said, it's good you get it by the bottle because then you can control the pour. So my thing back to you, Kim, is usually the server will pour you the initial pour and any I don't want to say good restaurant, but people that are paying attention will come over and keep refilling your glass when they see it's a little low. So it's almost like they're not controlling your pour. But do you see that as a tip that you can control the pour? Oh, I mean, a little bit. I, th I think it's more that you kind of know what you're getting in your glass because maybe you're handling it. But I would agree that in some most nicer restaurants, your server is coming back and refilling your glass. So sometimes it can be a little bit more difficult to figure out like, oh, I've had a third of that bottle <laughs> or, or whatever. Right. And what's the secret behind that, Kim? I know you got to let us and the listeners know when the server is refilling the glass, is that something to promote you to finish that wine, to move on to another wine? Or is it just being nice? I, th I think it's so that you'll drink all your wine and then have to order some more, <laughs> frankly. Okay, so that, that is, that's what I was thinking. But is that an yeah. inside, is that an inside education tip? I don't think that's an tip? inside tip. No. I think that's just the way a, that it is. A good um. server that wants to promote something else to you. And that's one of the things I find I don't see as much. Once you order a bottle, I, I feel it's enough. There's no more for you. And, and a lot of times when you're at a party of people, you kind of want either that next bottle or a suggestion of another bottle. But that's just what I observe at times. So. What, that the server isn't going to ask you if you want to order a second right, bottle of wine? Right, exactly. Really? Yeah. Hmm, that's not my experience. Yeah, see? <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a server be like, no, 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 you've had to order another bottle of wine. You can. Yeah, I just, I don't see him being as pushy for the next bottle or for, yeah. for another type. It's hard right now with restaurants because they're so tight with staff. And I think that right now it's just survival for servers from what I've right. been experiencing going out and there might be an entire restaurant and only two servers running around and they're just trying to keep their heads above water. So I think pushing a second bottle of wine or another beer might not necessarily be the first thing that they're thinking of. True. And that's a good lead to the next article we want to talk about was, does the sommelier have a future in restaurants? And it was by the chalkreport.com. You mentioned staff. And of course, we all know the pandemic led to some serious closings and cuts, which unfortunately, Kim, you know all too well. Yeah. <laughs> and leads to the point now, because of all this, are the sommeliers going away and they're just relying on wait staff? So I think that's what this article was hitting on. Mm -hmm. What was your take on how they looked at it? Yeah, so it does seem to be, I mean, Boston has never been, I think, a city that has had a lot of fine dining restaurants with dedicated sommeliers. We had 
our two, when I was at Legal Seafoods, we had two of our two biggest flagship restaurants had dedicated Psalms who were responsible for the wine lists and the wine service. But most restaurants in this city have never really had a tradition of having a dedicated Psalm on staff. And I think with the pandemic and with changing tastes, and I know that we've spoken in the past about the growth of craft cocktails at restaurants and people going to a restaurant and ordering something that they can't make for themselves or they can't find for themselves on their own or at home, which is where those wonderful craft cocktails come in. I think that we're starting to see, and this article mentioned sort of a plateauing of wine sale growth in restaurants that now people are into all sorts of things, got ciders and we have more specialty beers and we have those craft cocktails. And I think it's all good because they're all interesting beverages. And I personally don't care if you're ordering a craft cocktail or a microbrew or a glass of wine. I think that all of those things have something that can be a conversation starter for a beverage professional. But it does seem that we are moving away from that staff person who only does the wine and more to either servers knowing about the wines or relying on the bartender to know about the wines. And then it does sort of seem to be that maybe the psalm is going away. Yeah, And they mentioned, just like you said, Kim, this trend of the change in cocktails and types of beverages was seen before the pandemic. So they were seeing a drop in wine before the pandemic, which didn't help the sommelier's position. The future, they're saying in the restaurant, seems like no psalm and smaller lists so the wait staff can control it more because the psalm was the person. He made the list or he or she made the list and controlled the training and and the education of the staff, was high on pushing pairings for the staff. So who's going to take that over for this staff now? Is that why you think the lists are going to just get small and limit the choices so there's no pressure on the staff to be educated on that as much? I mean, I I feel like in the current state of things, it has to be. There's just not the people in the restaurants working that can focus on the beverage list. Having a smaller list means that it's easier for the staff to understand and recommend and know what goes with what. But hopefully restaurants can continue to be a place where people can go not only for fine dining, but also to learn about food and wine pairings and to have those experiences. And I feel like in order for that experience to be something valuable to a restaurant diner, then you need to have people at the restaurant who understand those concepts and make an effort to put those into play to make that experience worthwhile for the person who's coming into the restaurant. So I'm hopeful that once staffing shortages are alleviated a little bit and restaurants can take a breath and be like, okay, now we're not just trying to keep our heads above water. Now we have the time to focus on some other more innovative, creative things in the restaurant, then that's when wine lists and wine programs will get looked at again and hopefully we'll get, what's the word I'm looking for, reinvigorated. Right. Back to normal, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Or a new normal. I mean, I don't think any, I don't think that things are going to go back to normal, Right. but a different normal. Yeah. They're adapting. Everybody's adapting. 
And let's move on to some other articles we saw, Kim, related to restaurants. And one of them was in uh, tastingtable.com, the reason restaurants prime your wine glass. And a lot of people might not be familiar with this term of priming or seasoning. And I learned from this article that it, the actual uh, process originated in Italy, which was mm-hmm. interesting to me. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure you probably knew it. But so what's your thoughts or takes to give to the listeners on this idea of priming the glass when you order a wine? So honestly, I've only seen this a few times at like super fancy steakhouses. <laughs> like I don't see this all that often when I order wine at a restaurant. So the idea did you train staff to do that? No, nope. Okay, this was not something like. we did. Good. Well, I, I I kind of feel like it's a waste of wine, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so anyway, the process or the idea behind what we're talking about is when you get a brand new gl- glass, wine glass, and the server or the psalm opens up the bottle for you, they will pour a little bit of of that wine into your glass, swirl it all around the glass and then dump out that wine. And what it's supposed to do is clear any residual like dishwasher sort of aromas or detergent aromas or storage cabinet aromas out of your glass. And so it'll only smell like the wine that you're about to pour into it. And then that's 100% what you're going to be getting. Yeah. And they call it priming or priming. seasoning. And usually I, they pour yeah. that one ounce and I, I test the wine. It's usually I'll swirl that what they pour and I taste it, make sure it's okay. But I've never, like you said, seen them dump it. And I'm certain years ago, wasn't the the whole idea of the psalm wearing the, is it was it the um, the pewter cup they would yeah, pour in the, the cup the, and discard it or take, yeah, or test it that way as well. But this is different. That's for yeah. them to taste. That the was wine, in the so taste. And they they st- in, at that time, they still didn't swirl it and throw it your glass as far yeah. as I know. So interesting look at it. And, you and mentioned- I, I feel like, all right, if you're spending, I don't know how much money on your bottle of wine yeah. and the server throws away one of those 26 ounces. Or tastes it on you. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> I would be more, more if they taste it, they pour an ounce it. in my glass, swirl it around right. and then get rid of it. It's like, oh, yeah. Or they my, taste like, it. I, that's my money it. there, dude. You can lose two ounces. You you mentioned one of the reasons the residual of like wood cabinets, and this is an issue for me all the time, Kim, in my yeah. house. Yeah, we me too. Cedar uh, dining room cabinet. My wife always puts my wine glasses in it and all I smell is cedar. Mm-hmm. So I really have to do this and swirl the wine and dump it because it has this aroma of the cabinet. And I think it's yeah. the worst thing going. Yeah, I feel like I have to if if I bring up wine glasses from downstairs because I I sometimes will store my ex- excess wine glasses in my basement. I have to rewash them all because they smell like basement. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> even if I like swirl some air around in the glass, it still very much smells like smells like basement. Yeah. So yeah, and you don't want your wine smelling fo- like basement. No. Another follow-up to the priming of the glass was a vine pair dot com article that said why you should never rinse that glass with water. Is this something you enforced, Kim, or can tell the listeners what you think about it? This is one that I see more often. And especially at wine tastings, I will often, if I reach for that pitcher of water to rinse my glass out, I've had folks behind the table who are pouring their wines for tastings tell me not to do that. Like, don't, nope, don't do it with water. Here, 
have a little bit of wine. They'll swirl the wine around the glass and that will clean out whatever I had previously had in my glass. And especially for professional tastings when you might be bouncing around like all over the place for styles. We try sometimes to like start with whites and then move on to reds, but sometimes something just catches your eye and you're like, "Ooh, I wasn't going to taste reds right now, but that looks really cool. I need to have a little bit of that in my glass. And (laughs) then you have pink wine the next time you want to go do some white. So the idea is that even a tiny little bit of water at the bottom of your glass is going to dilute whatever your tasting sample is because tasting samples are tiny. They're probably a half an ounce to an ounce depending on how generous the pour is going to be. So if you think of how much of a percentage of that could be some water left at the bottom of your glass, it does make sense. I think if you want to get the full personality of that wine to not rinse it with water, but I am guilty of this one. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. So to prime or rinse, use wine. Use it's better and then swirl it to really, you know, clean it out before your first pour or before going on to the next wine, between Mm -hmm. the same wines, between different color wines, or just because you might have a sediment issue or something like that would be why you would. Yeah. And I don't always do that. Like if I'm tasting a whole bunch of, say, Italian white wines, I'm not going to rinse in between because I feel like there's so much similarity between those wines that one is not going to overpower another one if there's a little bit at the bottom of the glass. So I try to be I think judicious about how often I will rinse my glass between pours. But if I'm going back and forth between red and white, then I will. Yeah. And it's all about the environment too. When you're home or in a restaurant, you can really do this. But when you're at these professional taste things, they just wine after wine after wine. And after a while, you just you just go on, right? I mean, and you usually have to do it pretty quickly. Like we don't spend too much time on each wine. So Right. This much this must sound so indulgent to our listeners. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, all these wines. We have it so tough, all these wines. But it's good advice. If we'll you ever find yourself at a wine so. tasting and the pour wants you to rinse with wine in between pours, let them rinse your glass with wine. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like more information about Kim, please go to her website at commonwealthwineschool.com. For information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We'd like any questions or comments you'd have. For past episodes, you can find us on SoundCloud or iTunes. Today, we're talking about restaurant related items. We mentioned about reasons restaurants prime your glasses, why you should buy maybe a bottle instead of a glass. The next article we'd like to talk about was from mydroll.com, interesting site. Mm -hmm. Uh, Menu design is key to increasing wine sales and customer satisfaction. And Kim and I are always talking about how we love looking at the wine lists and They can be intimidating though, Kim, right? I mean, there's books, there's one page sheets, there's these Bibles they might hand you at some places. So this article mentioned a few little things of maybe a study that said what you can do to design them a little better. Mm -hmm. I thought this was cool because it brought a little bit of psychology into uh, into the study and also that it actually paid attention to 
how people's brains were working when they were viewing each of these different styles of wine lists. So I found that to be very interesting. Did you notice they mentioned a restaurant in Rhode Island in Newport was in the article? They mentioned the White Horse Tavern. It's one of the oldest restaurants yeah. in the country, right? Yeah, they mentioned it in the, the article saying uh, in Newport, it was like 1600s. But you're right, they did a study. Go on, can I inter I interrupted you. Yeah. So they did a study based around three different styles of wine lists. And one was just the names of the wines, vintages, prices, but no information beyond that about the wine. And then they had the wines with some descriptions on a second style of wine list. On the third, there was the wine, a description of the wine, and then suggestions of food pairings or dish pairings with those wines. What they found was that the wine list that only had the name of the bottle and the vintage didn't really make people's brains work so much. <laughs> I think it was like people just sort of scanned them and didn't really have any type of, of real reaction to them. But interestingly, for the second and the third, people, their brainwaves were, you know, they were engaged with those wine lists. So they were actually thinking about what those descriptions meant and thinking about what those pairings were all about. And I thought that that was really fascinating. It is because menus with descriptions and food pairings are rare. I mean, they are is that first choice of vintage and price and it all kind of blends in. So it makes sense to put a little bit more that people be more receptive to it. Mm -hmm. and, and that engagement, I think, I think that the longer that someone spends not just scanning through the wine list, but engaging with the information is probably going to improve their experience because they feel like they're learning something, which is super cool. Right. And they said the descriptions make people more emotional about the wine. So it draws them into the wine. And I was thinking, you know, you're talking descriptions, they're saying probably, you know, aroma, flavor, correct? Uh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking, what if they added a little bit of a story behind it? It's a female winemaker or it's a family-owned winery or something mm -hmm. like that. If they really want to draw people in, to me, it would be, this is aromas of this, flavors of this, this is the winemaker, they've been in business this long, whatever. I know now the menu's getting huge, right? But <laughs> yeah, more it, pages with more uh, written things. But it makes sense, but nobody does it. No one really does it. And, and if the lists are getting smaller, like we said previously, then they should really start doing this because they need to put more information out there without the Psalms around so people can make a better decision, a better choice, especially the food pairings. And I think people want to know. And even if it's just that little bit of information, I feel like it can go a really long way to helping somebody make a decision if they don't have that person there who's knowledgeable to answer their wine questions. The next article, Kim, I, I thought was really interesting about rules when ordering wine at a chain restaurant under the vinepair.com article. When you have less options, which is typical of the chains, they usually have that little one page or it's even on the table. What do they call the, the table placement things? Drinks menu. They just call them drinks menu on the table, like case cards on the table. Yeah, like um, like the, the ones that are like tent shaped, those? Yeah. yeah. So We used to just call them tent cards. It's just a very limited selection that you see. 
and they had some rules. They gave some tips on how to do that in chain restaurants. So what did you think, Kim? What, what did you like or not like? One of the parts that I feel like we have always given advice for was stay away from like Cabernet or Pinot Noir, because the more well-known a wine is, I think the easier it is for the markup to be a little bit higher because that's mostly in people's comfort zones. So the restaurant is going to know that if you don't really know necessarily much about the wines on that wine list, you're going to go with something that you feel is safe, which I think for a lot of people are Chardonnay, Cabernets, Pinot Noirs, those things that we know and that we've you know had experience with. And so therefore we're comfortable ordering them. But I liked the idea of if you need something that is probably pretty safe, go with sort of inoffensive white wines <laughs> because right. you can get them for decent quality without having to really spend a whole lot of money, especially if they don't have any oak on them. So like stay away from Chardonnays, but Sauvignon Blancs are usually a pretty good find. And their thought was it's easy to pair with the food typically mm-hmm. you would get. And you mentioned the reds. They For reds, they were saying try red blends instead of those cabs or the Pinots uh, as a suggestion. So that was kind of a different uh, look at red wines. Mm-hmm. And they stated again, it's just guidelines. One of the things I thought was unusual, they didn't kind of mention the freshness thing about maybe if you ordered in these chain restaurants, maybe by the glass, a lot of times things have been sitting around for a while and stuff like that, but just a- Well, I think it would depend on the size of the restaurant. You know, there are some places that probably move through lots and lots of wines by the glass. And so they're constantly opening new bottles of those. So I think it would depend on I, w- I would try to get a feel for like how many other people in the restaurant are drinking wine. And if you see a lot of people have wine by the glass, then they probably have enough movement on those that you are going to get a fresh glass. That bottle might have only been opened like an hour ago. That's a good tip. And you can also mm-hmm. sometimes get a peek at behind yeah. the bar. Yeah. So like kind of gauge the environment, levels. you know, if it's more of a bar kind of place, then yeah, you might be a little bit more, I would say, worry of, of ordering a, a glass of wine. So that leads us to a picks.com article, Kim. And lately we've used a lot of these articles from this we really website. Have. Yeah. And just recently, it's sad to say they, they're in some trouble and they released a lot of their writers. So I don't know how much longer they could be around. Yeah. They wrote an article about spitting wine. I thought this was great. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of the listeners, casual drinkers of wine probably don't know. Most professional tasters have to spit out the wine and not taste it or swallow it. We're obviously tasting when we're swirling it, but because of the amount of alcohol we're taking in, you spit it. So they did a whole article about how this one person, they learned to stop worrying about doing that and why. And what was your take on spitting the wine, Kim? So, I mean, it's very true that we professionals do have to spit wine out because otherwise we would be completely drop dead drunk at the end of classes and tastings and other professional situations that we find ourselves in. But it does kind of go against common sense to spit out wine. (laughs) And especially when we're all dressed up all fancy, (laughs) we're just spitting. I feel like this topic has been front of mind for a lot of us during the pandemic, because not only do we need to get our job done, but now we need to think about viruses and just... Yeah, <laughs> all of this. Around. So yeah. I, I feel like this is something that has 
had a little bit of a change over the last couple of years. So we have a lot more, I'd say, personal spitting devices these days when we go to tasting. So a lot of people will carry their own little cup around and do their spitting in there. But You know, it is a bit of a barrier, I think, for people who are either just getting into the industry or are going to a wine tasting and seeing people spit out the wine. Or maybe you want to spit it out, too, because you have a couple of places to go and you don't want to get completely hammered and be able to enjoy the wine. So I remember when I had my very first retail job 20 years ago and I taught myself to spit outside into potted plants. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> just how I practiced. how I learned. Yeah, how I practiced. I'm like, okay, I, I have to spit wine at work now. So I, uh, yeah, just, you, you know, you took- mentioned the health things about COVID, but they did mention the article. There was some history way back where because of TB. Tuberculosis, yeah. They actually made it illegal to spit and that's the whole process. And I think that spittoons. you still see like really old you know how there are laws that are still on the books in a lot of places that they just never got rid of? I think there are a lot of anti-spitting laws still out there. Yeah, I believe it. You know, I, my take is I always put out when I do taste things, and you've seen it, Kim, I put a bucket in the middle of the table and I give each individual a cup, assuming no one wants to reach over the bucket, spit in the cup, and then dump it in the bucket. And you've been but, doing that bef- even before COVID. Yeah, just because I feel we've gone to these things. It's kind of embarrassing when you have to lean over, you're spitting. And a lot of people don't know you're supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think it makes it easy if you want to do, but 99% of the time, no one is doing that. And you mentioned how you practice the whole spitting thing. And I'm not sure if you have a story like this, but when I first got into wine education, one of the very first classes I took, the professor was a woman. She was at the front of the room in a normal classroom. She took a sip of the wine and spit it in the trash can. And I'm thinking, what the heck is this woman doing? Because right? <laughs> that's before you knew the process of tasting yeah. and everything else. But she, like you, would stand one side of the chalkboard and spit, you know, five, six feet into the bucket, which was the trash. I felt bad for the custodian. But, yeah, you know, it's just, it, you know, it's messy. They don't recommend you wearing white. Never wear white wear to ties. a wine tasting. It can be embarrassing. You always end up drooling or dribbling on yourself. And uh, like you said, during the COVID, it's you feel kind of strange when you're reaching towards the spit bucket now. But that's all about spitting. The listeners are probably saying, wow. And Kim was saying earlier, it's a waste when, you know, the server swirls the wine, throws it away. It's it's also kind of a waste when we spit it, too. But we're it still tasting feel it. Kind of like, yeah. And then spitting sparkling wine, sometimes it'll, you know, go up your nose. It's, yeah. Sometimes it can be Has a bit its. of a hassle, but also a professional necessity. The, the hard things we go through to, to taste wine. The listeners will probably <laughs> right. say, oh, we feel sorry for you. Right? I know. Those poor <laughs> wine people having to spit their wines out. So the last thing we have was from cntraveler.com. Just quickly, six mistakes made when you go to wine tastings, which could also relate to when you go to a restaurant for tasting wine. Correct, Kim? Mm-hmm. I do want to highlight my favorite one here. Okay, what is it? Which is don't wear perfume oh, or aftershave. Yes, yes. Yes. This is always Colognes. something that we tell our students in the wine school as you're coming to class. Don't wear anything that smells really strongly. We went out to dinner the other night and our server had so much perfume on that I thought that my beer smelled like her perfume. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People so, probably say yeah. why, but if you can't take any aromas away from the wine or your food for that matter. So uh, especially a lot of times you might be in a smaller room during these tastings Mm -hmm. or in a smaller restaurant and uh, 
if people just don't know. And, and added to that, Kim, I have to say my other pet peeve uh, is pe- smokers. Yep. Uh, you want to smoke? Okay. But when they come into a tasting, just having a cigarette and it's on their clothes or that also can interfere with the wine tasting. They also mentioned coffee, that yep. drinking coffee too close to a wine tasting will impair your ability to taste and smell the wines correctly. And that makes perfect sense, but not one that I think about all that often. Yeah. Toothpaste was another thing. I don't think they mentioned mm-hmm. toothpaste. But I think they did say don't. Did they say? There was one or there was something else that we read recently that said don't brush your teeth too soon before tasting wine because it will change the, the flavors of the wine. So two others had to do with intoxication. Don't treat this as an open bar. And that's always top. You, when you go to a tasting, they're free samples to taste. That's why you would spit. Don't take that as just try and swallow everything you see. And don't uh, get intoxicated. That's not the point of the tasting. And they were too about how to prevent intoxication. So stay hydrated. We always mm-hmm. say drink plenty of fluids and eat before you go to... Now, you wouldn't eat before you went to the restaurant, but maybe you have an, an appetizer or something before you have that first. Yep. Protein and carbs. Get protein and carbs in you before you uh, drink wine. And that will definitely help to help with the absorption of the alcohol. So you will slow down your intoxication rate. I think a new one that had to be added to this when you were talking about the perfume was because of COVID, everybody had hand sanitizer. Mm. And some of the companies were making just pure grain alcohol tubs smelling. (laughs) It was just... It's like rubbing your hands with vodka. Yeah, it totally <laughs> took away from the tastings. But so anything else? Can we covered so many things on restaurants. Hope the listeners got some tips out of one yeah, of these. Yeah, for articles. the next time you go out to a restaurant, order some wine, or go to a tasting room or a winery or a, anything having to do with learning a little bit more about wine and uh, and tasting along the way. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and leave us your questions and comments. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes and find us on Twitter at Wine Education and on Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Cheers.